Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Next-Gen Pastor Brandon Sanford, examining the life of Solomon, explores three keys to building your legacy the right way. Let's listen now. Let's pray together before we dive in. God, may your word cut through joint, cut through our marrow, so we can experience you in new and life-giving ways. God, may our investigation of your word Bring out your voice. God, may it not be my own, but may it be you. God, help us to see how you desire for us to build our legacies. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Who is the greatest professional sports team of all time? That, that is a highly debated question. Some of you might be here, and you might be like, oh, it's absolutely the Red Sox, moving from that low level all the way to glory and then, you know, being a competitive team. Or, or some of you are like, no way, it's the Yankees. Don't even talk to me about that. Even mentioning that name before that you said soils the atmosphere that we're in. <laughs> or maybe you're, forget the baseball stuff, football. The best team in football is the Patriots and the dynasty of the Patriots. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're highly conflicted between so many people, between New England and Florida. Because someone special moved south for you. Or, or maybe you can even step into to days of when I was growing up, into the awesome days of the Chicago Bulls, when Michael Jordan was on the team. Or, or, or move a little forward, let's talk about the Lakers, when Shaq and Kobe were together. That was the greatest team of all time. I think a lot of the things that we think about when it comes to the greatest team are purely subjective. But what if we could tap into an objective measurement about the best professional sports team? Well, what do the greatest teams do? They win. You can't really be the greatest team and be like, well, we really uh, pulled it together this year. Never scored a point, but man, we have a good time. That, that wouldn't be the greatest team. It might be the most fun team, but not the greatest. So maybe that's our measurement. Let's, let's say that the greatest professional sports team is the team that wins the most. In order to answer that question about who wins the most, you actually can't stay in, in this region of the world. We, we, either, we need to head to the other side of the globe, to the island of New Zealand, because the most winning team is actually the rugby team, the All Blacks. The All Blacks, since 1903, have played 621 matches. Of those 621 matches, they have only lost 122 times. What that means is that they have won 477 times and tied 22 times. 
In terms of percentage, they win three out of their four games that they play. And they've done so for over a hundred years. We, we see team dynasties rise and fall. Teams enter their glory days, and then not too long after, they're at the bottom of the barrel. But not the All Blacks. They continue to win year after year. As you look at their team, you say, wow, they've built a legacy of being a great team. If, you, if this is your first week here, we actually started a new series last week, and it talks about legacies. You see, we define legacy as the long-lasting effect of our lives. And last week, the topic focused around starting that legacy. And, and if you, you missed it and you weren't here, we talked about how we need to define our legacy. Then we looked at we need to start our legacy and start early if you can. And then we need to reject the lie that it's too late. It's never too late to start a legacy. We're focusing our series over these three weeks, so this is week two, around the life of Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. And King David was given promises by God because of David's heart for the Lord, because of his devotion to him, God promised to David an everlasting promise, one that was unconditional, something that could not be shaken, and that that would live on into all of eternity. What we find, and if you kind of follow the line, that the pinnacle of David's promise and dynasty comes in the person of Jesus. But there were additional promises made to David's successor, being Solomon, that were conditional. What that means is that it all depends upon how Solomon lives his life. His legacy is conditioned around how he lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Solomon, look at the how of his life, and what we're going to discover is three categories of the how for Solomon. His life, his resources, and then looking at his influence. Because those of you who, who have kind of come through this and been with me in middle school, and we talk about this in high school, because I know a lot of you high schoolers are here this morning with, with us today. You see, we talk about the Old Testament. And sometimes the temptation is to think about the Old Testament as a very different time in a very different place. But there's something that is very similar to the people of the Old Testament to us today. It's us. People aren't that different. We, we might tell ourselves that. And we might have really cool devices and stuff. But our lives really focus around the same things. And what we find over and over again is that we are left in a position where we need a Savior and we need saving. And so the lessons that we're going to learn from Solomon, I believe, can be transplanted and brought to us today in order to inform how can we build a legacy 
that lasts. So how do we build the right way? We need to build around three things, focused around Solomon's three aspects of his life and reject the temptation and tension that we experience every single day. You see, we all know this. We all see this. We can think almost instantly about a legacy that was soiled, that was done wrong. We've seen legacies destroyed around a certain category, a certain thing that they did. And the Word will show us that. So let's talk about building a legacy the right way. As I mentioned before, we're going to look at Solomon's life, we're going to look at Solomon's resources, and we're going to look at Solomon's influence. If you're a little rusty on biblical history, David, again, was king over Israel. He was the first line of his king and dynasty. Saul was the king before him, but the throne was given to David, and then David passed it on to Solomon. The, the environment of the ancient Near East was, was unique in the times of David and Solomon. You see, if you know your geography, Israel lies in a land in between. It's about the size of New Jersey, but in between, though, are two massive nations. And you see this, you've got the Euphrates River, and then you've got Egypt. And you've got the kingdom of Egypt in the south and to the west, and you've got the kingdom of Assyria to the north and east. Eventually, that would transition to Babylon, which moved a little more east than north, but whatever the case, there were powerhouses of nations that lied on both sides of Israel. And during the time of David, it was a unique situation because the, those nations were weak. They would march their armies back and forth and devastate the region. And you see that in other portions of Scripture. But during the time of David, David did a campaign and conquest to establish the nation of Israel. And as he passed that dynasty down to Solomon, Solomon's job was to fortify it. David established it, Solomon fortified it, and taxed it, okay? That was what Solomon did. If you jump into this, and you see this in 1 Kings 9, 15 through 19, it'll be on the screen, I'm going to read it aloud. And this is the account of the forced labor that Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord, and his own house in the Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer, Pharaoh king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire, and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer, and lower Beth Haran, and Balath, and Tamar in the wilderness, in the land of Judah, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon, and all of the land of his dominion. It's really easy to skip over a passage like this. You kind of hear the names and the cities, and you're like, oh, that's nice. And, and you kind of continue on. But you don't realize what this is actually telling us. It's telling us about the building campaigns of Solomon. Now, I'm a maps guy. I love maps. Okay, if you know and you, if you're familiar with your Bible, if you start on the other end, you find the maps. Maybe you don't even know what they meant. I know as I was a little kid, I didn't really understand what they were telling me, but I was like, those are cool. But it, the maps actually help us understand what Solomon was doing. And so, 
for those of you that are not MAPS people, I'm going to petition you to stay awake, okay? For those of you that are, I don't need to say anything, but up on the screen, we're going to see a map, and it's going to tell us some of the things that Solomon did in this passage here. So check on that map. All right, so I did some lines in green so that you can see, and if the writing on the map is really small, I know, okay? But just bear with me, I'll explain it. Solomon built up a lot of the areas around what you're seeing there. You see, the land of Israel had a natural route of trade. It wasn't that they established it. It was more that Solomon secured those routes for those people as they were doing trading. And so it says in the passage that he fortified Gezer. Gezer is in the bottom left in that green square there. The, the, the city of Gezer sits at the edge of a canyon that goes up to the city of Jerusalem. Naturally, nobody's going to be like, I'm going to hike that mountain. No, they're going to go up the valley as the easiest path to get to Jerusalem. If you continue north, you follow along the plain. It's flat. Nobody hikes because they like to, unless you're me and my wife. But generally in that day, it's wasted energy. They would continue up. At the northern region of that left side of that plain, there's a canyon again. At the end of that canyon is Megiddo. It's a city that was strategic. And then from there, you can head east or you can head west to the ocean, which it talks about the ships coming and bringing those shipments. And then you can continue north to Hazor, which leads to the nations to the north. This was the trade route. Solomon sought to fortify those cities and establish them in a secure way. You actually see some of his things in archaeology and what he built today. Go to that next slide. This is Megiddo. This is the city of Megiddo. It says in 1 Kings that Solomon built up the cities and built up the gates, and he used three courses of hewn stone followed by a, timber, a cedar timber in order to make the city secure against earthquakes. And so it doesn't say that in the passage about earthquakes, but that's why they would do that. It would kind of break that shaking of the stones if there was an earthquake. He used really expensive stone. You see the first three courses right there. One, two, three, and then I circled that beam of cedar. They're still there to this day. The building projects of Solomon are still in existence, and you can see them. And so what this shows us is that Solomon made strategic decisions in his time to build up the nation of Israel in order to benefit its people. It was positioned well as the resource of the land in between, and it became the shipping dynasty of the ancient Near East during a time of a power vacuum in the Middle East. Solomon positioned to give great benefit to the people of Israel, great benefit to the cities, and to the nations surrounding it. But Solomon didn't just make some strategic decisions. He made spiritual ones. He, he set up and built the temple in Jerusalem. He, he continued the project that his father David really set in motion for him to build. But as you see in the passage, he also built some other things. It's no coincidence that it took Solomon seven years to build the temple, but it took him 13 years to build his own house. He brought a lot of economic prosperity to his people and extreme levels of prosperity to himself. And when it comes to Solomon's life, Solomon's life shows us the first tension that he experienced in building his legacy, the tension between pride and humility. 
to be about his ego or to be a humble leader acknowledging who is on the throne? Would Solomon make his life about the one who sat on the throne in the temple? Or would Solomon make his life about the one who sat on the throne in the house of Lebanon, which is his house? What the Bible shows us is that to build a legacy the right way is to build it upon humility, not ego. It is God's way to build a legacy upon a humble leader. Which means that God does not further a legacy that is marked by hubris. Now, God is not limited by Solomon's pride, just as he's not limited today. And you see in the pages of Scripture that God uses a lot of leaders to accomplish his purposes, but at the same time, those that accomplish his purposes, he does not negate from his judgment of how they lead. The things that those leaders build will not last. Even the temple, the thing that Solomon put huge amounts of resources in, a project for God himself, if not done the right way, would not last. And spoiler alert, it didn't last. Even as the nation of Israel was surrounded and being conquered by the potential invasion of the Assyrians, a lot of times the people said, we have the temple. And this happened in the time of the Babylonians as well. We have the temple. God would not let us fall. God was not concerned about what the building was. He was concerned about the people and their hearts. So we see that first tension that Solomon experienced. Next, let's look at his resources. It's very clear from the passages that we read above that Solomon was an ambitious builder and an ambitious leader. Also, most of the labor that Solomon had for his building projects was conscripted forced labor, okay? What forced labor means is they didn't want to be doing it, okay? And so from there, the people were under a lot of constraint and stress to build his projects, so much so that he actually had to tap on the shoulders of the Israelites. And you see this later on in the book, that the Israelites themselves were overstretched by Solomon's fingers of his ambition. It was out of that ambition that Solomon accumulated huge amounts of wealth in his day. We can see that in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. It says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, which came from the explorers and from the businesses, and of the merchants, and from all of the kings of the West, and from the governors of the land. Now, some of you might be very um, talented in understanding weights, um, but for people like me, I was like, I wonder how much a talent weighs. Uh, or more importantly, how much money are we talking about here when it comes to 666 talents of gold? Right? I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this. Actually, if you were to take that and, and transfer that to ounces and, and how gold is measured today and transfer those ounces into dollars, that 666 talents would come to about $2 billion today that came in each year. Now, if you look at the passage, this is in addition to the overall economy of Israel. It says, 
right here, it says that besides that which came from the explorers and the businesses of the merchants, those, those tradings that would happen in the land of Israel. And so there was a lot on top of that with what Solomon got here. However, what we see in the passage is that there was such affluence in Jerusalem, so much that things that were precious were not precious. It says in the passage that silver was of no value. Just if I stumbled across silver, like one stumbles across a penny on the street, can you imagine being like, oh, it's not worth my time. I mean, if, if I found a, something of silver, I'd be like, we're going to cherish it, we're going to take it home, we're going to clean it, we're going to make it a member of our family, and then we're going we're to trade it off, right? But what we see also in the passage is that silver was of no value in one location, but if you actually read on beyond our passage, it was actually the measurement of how they would trade in the economy, that, that it says that the chariots were sold for this much of silver and horses were sold for this much silver. Okay, so it wasn't that worthless because you could take it and get a horse. But in Jerusalem, no. There was so much affluence that Solomon brought to the city of Jerusalem that it actually brought about inequity in other regions. Also, if you look at Deuteronomy 17, 17, which I'm sure all of us have memorized, it actually tells us that kings of Israel should not accumulate great wealth for themselves. So now we discover the second tension of Solomon's life. The first was the pull between pride and humility. Now the second is between wastefulness and generosity. Again, Solomon's tension between wasteful, uh, wasteful tendencies and generosity with his resources. Would he be like the other kings and have so much affluence? Or would he bring it to the people of Israel? Would he, like many leaders today, bring about lots of affluence for oneself at the expense of others? We don't have to go too far to find a story about that. I want you to see again, we're not that different. Would Solomon be generous and think of the people he was governing and leading? Again, we've got the potential for Solomon to be amazing. But again, how he lives his life determines his legacy. What the Bible shows us is that God wants to build legacies upon generosity. See, he wants people to build a legacy upon the knowledge that resources are not limited in God's kingdom. Because God is the great provider. If one thinks one needs to hoard, what that means is that they believe at some point there will not be plenty However, when it comes to our God, there is no lack. He promises us things. He promises us 
That's security. God was not limited by Solomon's affluence. His, his viewpoint of how he used his resources. But imagine how the people would have responded differently because as you look later on, you begin to see the weight of Solomon's ruling. Imagine how they would have responded differently if Solomon was more generous. Again, the Bible actually doesn't give us a picture of that. But we see clear prohibitions about how kings should do their business and how they should not. And that inequity eventually brought about division. So now we move to the third area. How did Solomon use his influence? How did Solomon use his influence? See, Solomon built his influence like, like modern-day shipping Amazon UPS. Like, I can get you things. And in a region where the powerhouses of the kingdoms around him were in a weak point. Well, if you're in a weak point, what do you want to do? You want to get strong again. Solomon knew that. Solomon knew that very well. And Solomon had fortified the trade routes between him and other places for goods that people needed. What you find, and you find this in the pages of Scripture, is that Solomon actually had a lot built around trading two things, horses and chariots. Solomon had an economy across the ancient world built upon military spending. People wanted to build up their nation. Solomon could get horses, he could get chariots for a certain price, and export them to the kingdoms that wanted them. He was able to do this because those trade routes were his. I'm just going to like put out a question. You got nations historically that have like rampaged you. And Solomon was like, I'm going to give you some weapons, okay? Promise me you're not going to do anything bad with them. I, I'm just, again... If I was there and I could poke him in the shoulder and be like, hey, quick question. What happens when they get mad at you? You begin to see that later on as the Assyrians and others. But listen, this isn't something that God didn't know. In Deuteronomy 17, 16, it says, the king, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, shall never return that way again. Solomon knew how to leverage an opportunity. He knew how to make a deal with the nations around him. He was smart, strategic, and powerful in his time. And what we see is the last tension that Solomon experienced was around how he used his influence in his kingdom. Would he be like the other nations around him and seize opportunities to leverage his own position in order to better himself? Or would he be thinking about his influence when it came to God being his primary influence? See, will Solomon build his influence God's way or his way? Will God's command be Solomon's priority or will his priorities be misaligned? See, God wanted Solomon to build a legacy around not what works, but a legacy around the one who works. You see that in the pages of Scripture. 
and you see Solomon being divided in how he was to live, how he was to rule in his time. Now, I don't want at all to be a modern snob. Okay? Sometimes this can happen where we look in the past, we're like, I can't believe they did it that way. What Solomon did was common. The way he ruled, he probably ruled better than the kings around him. I'm not as bad as him. But that's not how God asks us to build a legacy. What God wanted for Solomon was for him to build his legacy upon humility, upon generosity, and upon full dependence on him. The same is true for us today. God wants believers today to build a legacy the right way with humility, generosity, and full dependence on him. And let me be frank, to build a legacy the right way is to build a legacy God's way. God builds lasting legacies around humility, upon generosity, with full dependence upon him. So let's talk about that for today. Can we? I think so. It will be probably looking different from those around us. But let's circle back to the All Blacks. See, when James Kerr wrote his book called Legacy about leadership, he dialed down into the depths of how the All Blacks became the team that they were. What he began to find is that there were some priorities and principles that the All Blacks had that other teams didn't have, and they've had them over a long period of time. You see, the All Blacks built their teams around certain principles that were critically important to who they were. The first two, the most important, were these. The first one was called sweep. The first priority was around sweep. Now, this is not a, a, a player strategy. It's about humility. What the All Blacks believe is that the person who sweeps in the locker room is just as important as the person who scores. And that those people that clean are not below them. Therefore, they will sweep. They will clean their own locker rooms. They will do it themselves because it is their job to keep the team in the way it's supposed to be in doing every job. They are to be marked by humility as a player, not the ego that we see is so common in so many professional sports players. The second one is this. Better people equals better All Blacks. They look at the character of the player, and there are instances where they have rejected some of the best players in rugby because they have poor character. They're not allowed to be on the team. That does not make a good team. It does not make a great team. It does not make a legacy. So these two things, humility and character, are the two most important things about making a team great, according to the All Blacks. Now, as I read the book, I was not actually that surprised. The reason why I wasn't that surprised was because when you look at what they did, 
they tapped into something that we already know. On the pages of Scripture, we see humility climaxed in the person and the leadership of Jesus. We see character around Christ. Now, according to our today's principles, yeah, that might not make sense. But even in Jesus' time, he was corrected for how he was leading. He was committed in humility. Again, Jesus laid down who he was and who he was as God. It says in Scripture that he considered equality with God something to pass away so that he could take up his mantle of responsibility to be human so that we might be saved. It says, in addition to that, that he was generous. Generous in his character. It wasn't about him, but it was about being fully devoted to God and sharing his status. It says in the Bible that, that when we come to believe in Christ, when we come to believe in him as our Lord and Savior and to ask for repentance and forgiveness of our sins, that we are made a new creation and that we are co-heirs with Christ. He gives us a status that we don't deserve. He generously gives us sonship, daughtership into the kingdom of God. Jesus gives that generously to us, asking nothing in return except for that full devotion on him. And then in addition to that, Jesus was fully dependent on God. So it makes no surprise to me that, that the All Blacks tapped into Jesus' leadership. And that we, as we build our legacy the right way, we are to look at the example of Christ. And so, how do we build a legacy the right way? We do three things. Number one, we embrace humility. Embrace humility. It is not about us. It is about God. And God is the one on the throne. As you read the passage in 1 Kings chapter 10, and you hear about Solomon's throne, again, I look back, I'm like, this guy was wrestling with insecurity. But don't we all? But instead, we got to remember that God is on his throne. The second thing is this. We need to be generous with our resources. Be generous with our time, our treasure, our talents, for God and his purposes. Why? Because our resources are unlimited when it comes to the kingdom of God. You might think, you might think that you only got so much when it comes to God's economy and what he wants to do in this world, it's unlimited. So, be generous with resources. I just want to stop at this moment and just address some of our young people. You've probably heard me say this today, if you spent any amount of time with me, but you guys actually have the most expendable income of any age group. And you might be like, well, back in my day, it wasn't that way. No, it's actually always been that way. That, that teenagers, you can spend your money on whatever you want. And so I would challenge you, be generous. 
Then lastly, be fully dependent upon God because he's on his throne. In a day and age where we can be scared about what is out there, we can look at people and say, how did we get to this place? We don't need to be afraid. We need to be fully dependent on God because he is on the throne. There is nothing that surprises him. It's not like he turns the page on the day and it was like, whoa, what happened there? I did not see that one coming. Of course he knows what's happening. Of course he is on his throne. He, he knows what is going to happen and he knows what could have happened. He knows what you did if you go right. He knows what you do if you go left. He's not limited by our own volition, but he is sovereign over all of it. And so we need to be fully dependent upon him to not lose hope or trust in his promises, but to lean fully on them. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to mean you're going to look a little different. You might look at your friends around you. You might say, I'm not like them. That's okay. That's what God calls of us. You might look at your peers and say, oh man, they do all these practices these things that benefit them, but it doesn't benefit their long-term legacy. May we build legacies God's way. May we build legacies that last. May we build legacies that are fully dependent upon God, generous with humility. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.